Did you know something important happened on this day in history? In 1903, uh, there launched the first uh, successful engine-powered manned airplane. It was flown for 120 feet for about 12 seconds. And Orville and Wilbur Wright never could have dreamed of the far-reaching implications of that day. It would have been hard for them to imagine what it's like today, where you walk, walk outside and hardly notice a plane that flies overhead if you notice it at all. And it happens constantly throughout the day. They, they never could have dreamed of how air travel would have affected commerce and warfare. It would have been hard for them to even wrap their minds around all that manned flight means today. Well, in a similar way, in our passage of Scripture, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, Isaiah, 700 years before Jesus Christ walked upon the earth, spoke of a day when the Messiah would come as a, a child who would be given, a son who would be born. And as Isaiah gives some names for that Messiah who would come, there's no way he could have imagined the far-reaching implications of who this Messiah was and would be and the difference he would make. Implications that are still carried out in our lives today here in this room. And so keeping that in mind, I want you to look with me in Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 as we continue our study through this Christmas season titled His Name Shall Be Called. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6. Once you found your place there, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word? The Bible says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray together this morning. Father in heaven, we come into your presence today in Jesus' name. Not because of our merit or our righteousness, because we bring no righteousness to the table. We come into your presence based upon the merit and the righteousness of another. Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and died in our place, that our sins might be washed away. Because of him, we can come to you and call you Father. And we're grateful for that reality. And in these moments, as we study your word, I ask you to speak into our lives in a powerful, life-transforming way. Would you move in our midst by your spirit that our eyes might be open, that we would understand your word and have the inclination to respond to what you teach us. Lord, I pray that our lives would be changed today for the glory of your great name. 
So have your way in our midst. We love you. We praise you. We lift this time up to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. The book of Isaiah, written about 700 years before Jesus Christ walked upon the earth as the God-man, is a book that tells us that in the midst of impending judgment for Israel because they had turned their back upon God, there is hope. And there's hope because God was going to send a Messiah. And throughout the book of Isaiah, we see these different pictures of the Messiah and what his ministry would consist of. For example, in Isaiah chapter 53, we see that the Messiah would be a redeemer, a savior. He would come to uh, take our punishment, to die in our place. The punishment that we deserve as sinners would be poured out upon Jesus who would take it for us. We see that Jesus, the Messiah, would be a redeemer. But here in chapter 9 and other places, we see the emphasis is on the reign of the Messiah, the kind of ruler that the Messiah would be. And that's what Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 is about. It tells us there would be a Messiah who would come, a a child who would be born, a, a son who would be given. But then it tells us that he would reign forever. The government, the Bible says, would rest upon his shoulders. Verse 7, it says, of the increase of his government, his reign, and of peace, there will be no end. So the Bible teaches the Messiah would come and he would reign Forever and ever and ever and ever. And in verse 6, we see these four names or titles given to the Messiah. And these names describe what kind of king or ruler he would be. So that's important, especially when this book was written. They had, they had all different types of kings. Good kings, bad kings, evil kings, strong kings, weak kings. And they needed to know, if God's going to send a forever king, is he, is he a king we can trust? Is he a king who is good? What kind of king will he be? Well, these four names we've been studying answer that question. A couple of weeks ago as we began the series, we talked about Jesus the Messiah being our wonderful counselor. Last week we talked about the reality that Jesus is mighty God. And this morning we're going to focus in on that name, Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. In the Hebrew, the uh, words are uh, odd of, just little short words, odd of, everlasting Father. What is meant by this name for Christ? What are we to glean from this name? What are we to learn from this name? What are the, the far reaching implications of this name for our lives today? Well, first of all, this name, Everlasting Father, is a description of his love. It's a description of his love. His name should be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. Now, when we see that Jesus, the son who would be born, uh, the son who would be given, born of the Virgin Mary, when he left heaven and took on human flesh in the womb of Mary, and then would be born to Mary, we learn that this Messiah, this one who would be sent, is called Everlasting lasting father and that's a head scratcher it's a head scratcher because of what we know about the doctrine of the trinity the bible teaches that there is one god in essence and nature existing in three co-equal co-eternal persons the three persons of the trinity are god the father god the son 
and God the Holy Spirit. And we know that the Messiah who would be sent is God the Son. In fact, the kids just quoted John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That Son the Father would give is Jesus Christ. So Jesus is God the Son. He's not God the Father. And yet he's called Everlasting Father. What's up with that? I've given you in your notes, and you'll see it up on the screen, a, a little graphic that Christians have used for decades that helps us to understand the doctrine of the Trinity and really drive this point home. If you notice on this graphic, you see the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the three persons of the Trinity. And notice that there is a line going towards the center that reminds us that God the Father is God, God the Son is God, God the Holy Spirit is God. But notice around the edges it, that we understand the distinction of the persons. One God in essence and nature, but three distinct persons. God the Father is not God the Son. God the Son is not the Holy Spirit. God the Holy Spirit is not God the Father. They are distinct persons in the, the Trinity. So we know from that that God the Father and God the Son, Jesus Christ, are distinct so why is Jesus here called Everlasting Father? Remember that these titles in verse 6 speak of the kind of ruler the Messiah would be. This name doesn't refer to Jesus' relation to the Trinity. He's God the Son, always will be God the Son. It describes the type of ruler he is and always will be. Or Let me say it like this. Jesus is not God the Father, but he loves like a father. That's why this term is applied to him. Jesus is not God the Father. He's God the Son. But he loves like a father. That's why he's called Everlasting Father. Derek Kidner writes, Father signifies the paternal benevolence of the perfect ruler over a people whom he loves as his children. And so Jesus Christ, the Messiah, God the Son, is called Everlasting Father. He's not the Father. He's God the Son, but he loves like a father. Have you ever used the term or heard the term father figure? Maybe you have someone in your life that is a father figure. And when you say that someone is a father figure, here's what you mean. They're not my biological father, but there are some father-like characteristics and traits uh, in them that bless me. They are like a father to me. They're not my biological father. They're a father figure. Well, this term, everlasting father, applied to Christ, means Jesus Christ is not God the Father, he's God the Son. But he's a father figure in that his love is like a father's love. His care is like a father's care. That's what this name means. This name speaks of his affection for us and his actions toward us. We should never doubt Jesus' affection for us. You know why? Because Jesus proved his love when he left heaven, took on human flesh, and was obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ came to this earth, leaving the unceasing worship of heaven. He lived a perfect life as the God-man, fully human, fully divine. He never sinned. 
He never said a wrong thing, thought a wrong thought, performed a wrong action. He perfectly obeyed the law of God. He lived the life you and I could not live, and then he went and died the death you and I should have died. He went to the cross and shed his blood in our place. He took our punishment. Why? Because he loves you, and he loves me. So the next time you doubt or waver as to whether or not Jesus loves you, all you have to do is look to the cross. The cross is the supreme demonstration of God's love for you. We should never doubt that Jesus loves us with, a, with an affection, a love. He, he loves us with a father-like love. But this term, everlasting father, not only speaks of his affection for us, it speaks of his actions toward us. We talk a lot about the love of Jesus displayed at the cross when he came and died and then rose from the grave to give us eternal and abundant life. Maybe we don't talk enough about Jesus' ongoing actions in our lives. Maybe we don't talk enough about the daily ministry of Christ to us. And this title, Everlasting Father, speaks of the way He interacts with us. Speaks of the way that He cares for us. He cares for us daily in a father-like way. And so how do we know what His daily ministry looks like? Well, I think we all we have to do is look to the Gospels. When we see Jesus interact with His disciples... And we learn something of the way that he cares for his disciples and the way that his ongoing cares manifest in our lives as his disciples today. So think of it like this. Because of his father-like love and concern for us, Jesus models. Jesus models. Over in 1 Peter chapter 2, the Bible teaches that Jesus suffered and he, and he suffered in a way that is remarkable. The Bible says that when he suffered, he did not revile those that were mistreating him. He did not seek retribution and vengeance. The Bible says that he submitted himself to the hands of his father and his plan to use his suffering to accomplish our salvation. And it says in 1 Peter chapter 2 that Jesus in his suffering, listen, left us an example to follow in his steps. Over a hundred years ago, there was a man named Charles Sheldon who really honed in on that phrase, in his steps. And he wrote a book by that title. And that book really popularized the question for the first time that Christians begin to ask. What would Jesus do? His life is an example for us. And so we find ourselves having to make a decision. We could ask the question, what would Jesus do? And if we do what Jesus would do, it would be the right thing to do. Because Jesus left us an example to follow in his steps. Jesus models. What does that mean for us? If Jesus' life and ministry and interaction with his disciples is a model or a pattern to follow, then you and I should follow his example, right? If he loves us like a father... And shows us how we ought to act. We ought to follow his example. Fathers, you've probably had the experience of noticing when your kids begin to mimic your behavior, right? 
I've seen it with all four of my kids. My youngest, Connor, who is three, has begun to um, mimic his dad. For example, he likes to preach. He'll bring out a end table and he'll get a little Bible. And he has a little headset from one of his older brother's video games. And he gets, puts the headset on. He gets behind the uh, end table and he begins to go after it. I mean, he begins to preach. And I'm telling you, he's, he's loud. And I'm like, Connor, is daddy really that loud? He'll go, Jesus, you know. Where did he learn that from? I mean, he's got gestures and motions. He'll do this and he'll pick up his Bible. Where he, he learned it from watching me. It's what kids do. They, they mimic the behavior of their fathers. Well, if Jesus loves us like a father, and if he left us a perfect pattern to follow, don't you think we ought to follow his example and live like Jesus? Following in his steps. Because of his father-like love and concern for us, Jesus models. But secondly, Jesus teaches. Jesus teaches over in Matthew chapter, chapters 5 through 7. Jesus gives us what we call the Sermon on the Mount. At the end of that sermon, he says, If you're wise, you'll be like the man that built his house upon a rock. And, 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 and if you're going to... Build your house upon a solid foundation. That means that you're going to listen to my teaching. He says, if you listen to my teaching and live according to my teaching, you'll be like that man that had the house on the solid foundation. When the wind and the waves of life come, you will stand strong. Why? You followed my teaching. So we know from that Jesus is a teacher. All throughout the Gospels, he is teaching. I love Matthew chapter 11, the end of that chapter when Jesus says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Then he says something very interesting. He says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Part of what it means to be a Christ follower is to learn from Christ. And part of his daily ministry in our lives is to take his truth and, and point us to it so that we'll live according to his teaching. If you will walk with Christ every day because he loves you like a father, he will teach you. He'll instruct you. That's part of his daily ministry. And so if Jesus teaches, we ought to learn from him. We ought to learn from him I remember when my father gave me driving lessons, he taught me verbally, gave me some very specific things that I needed to learn and practice driving, but I also uh, learned some things from just watching him drive, both good and bad. There are some things that were taught and some things that were caught. Listen to me. If you and I will daily walk with Jesus... He'll teach us. He'll, he'll, he'll show us how we ought to live our lives. Why? Because Jesus teaches. Third, Jesus guides. Jesus guides. Over in Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, Jesus comes along the shoreline and sees some fishermen. And as he does at other times in his ministry, Jesus simply says to these fishermen, 
follow me. They leave their nets, they, they leave their boats, and immediately begin to follow Jesus. The implication is this. Jesus wants his disciples to know, if you'll follow me, if you'll commit your life to following me, I'll lead you to where you need to go. And so, Jesus is a guide. You say, wait, are we still supposed to follow Christ today? Well, over in Luke chapter 9, verse 23, Jesus said, If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. If you are a Christian, if you are a disciple of Jesus, then daily you need to make it your goal to follow Jesus wherever he leads. And if you follow Jesus every day, wherever he leads, he'll get you to where he wants you to go. Why? That's part of his daily ministry. He loves you like a father. And that father-like love is manifest in him guiding us. Fathers guide, don't they? Or they should. And Jesus guides us. That means we ought to follow wherever he leads. There are two songs I love that speak of the guiding ministry of Jesus. One is my favorite hymn. It's called, All the Way My Savior Leads Me. Beautiful words that says, all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. I love that hymn, because it's a reminder that Jesus is good And part of what Jesus does for me as a Christian is he guides me. And I can trust his guiding hand. Why? He loves me like a father. And there's another hymn we sing. And and sometimes it's hard for me to sing because I'm asking myself, do I really mean it? It goes like this. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Can you sing a song like that and mean it? Wherever you go, Jesus, I'll follow you. Wherever you want to take me, lead me and I'll be right behind you. Because Jesus loves us Like a father, he's not the father, but he loves us like a father. He guides. One of the first childhood games we learn is follow the leader, right? It's simple. There's not much to it. It's not hard to learn how to play. You get behind somebody, you do what they do, and go where they go. And and listen to me, the Christian life is just that simple. It's not easy, but it's simple. You daily determine. That whatever happens today, I will follow Christ wherever he leads. Jesus guides. Next, Jesus shapes. Back in Matthew four nineteen, when Jesus said, follow me, he keeps talking. He says, follow me, I love this, and I will make you fishers of men. You're not who you need to be, but if you'll follow me, I'll make you in, into who I want you to be. I will make you a 
fisher of men. And we learn from that if we will follow Jesus, just like the disciples follow Jesus, that he will do a, a transforming work in our lives. If Jesus shapes us, then you and I need to daily submit to that and let him change us. Let him change you. He loves you like a father. So he's going to work on you and mold you into who you need to be. So let him do it. Daily submit to Jesus and say, shape my life. This past week we had the senior adult Christmas party, always a good time. And they had a game they played for some prizes. The game was they got a piece of construction paper and they were to close their eyes and make some tears on the construction paper and out of that piece of construction paper make a Christmas tree. Pretty complex game, right? Now, I didn't play. I wouldn't be able to do that. I just, I just kept my eyes open to make sure they weren't cheating. But it was amazing. I mean, these senior adults, they got the construction paper, they had their eyes closed, they would make little tears here and there, and at the end they would open it up and it would be a Christmas tree. I was sitting right beside uh, Brother Tim Klein, and he made a Christmas tree with his eyes closed with a star on top. I was like, what? That's crazy. I mean, it was awesome. And he made a statement. When he made it, I thought, boy, that'll preach. He said, all you have to do is tear away the pieces that don't look like a tree. And I thought, well, there's a spiritual principle there. Listen to me. You know what Jesus is doing in your life every day if you'll let him? He's taking away the stuff that doesn't look like him. And that's not always a, a pleasant process. Sometimes it's a, a painful process. But if we will let Jesus, who loves us like a father, have his way in our lives daily, he will take away the stuff that doesn't look like him. So we should let him change us. That's what he does. Next, Jesus corrects. Jesus corrects over in Matthew 20. Jesus has just told his disciples, I'm going to die. I'm going to lay down my life. And even in the midst of that picture of coming sacrifice and, and selflessness, the disciples are bickering. And they're bickering over who's going to have the most important place in the kingdom. In fact, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, their mom gets involved. And their mom is, is, is working in the process to try to get her sons the best place in the kingdom. They're, they're just not getting it. So Jesus says, listen to this, over in Matthew chapter 20. Listen to what Jesus says to them, how he, how he corrects their thinking. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, chapter 20, verse 25, lorded over them and their great ones exercised authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Jesus is saying here that the pathway to greatness in the kingdom is servanthood. It's not by clamoring for your position and your preeminence and prominence. It's by laying down your life. And in the economy of the kingdom, God exalts those who lay down their lives, who serve others. That's how the kingdom works. And then Jesus goes on to say, even as 
The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Wow. You know what Jesus does here for his disciples? He corrects their thinking. They had it all wrong. And Jesus teaches them truth. So if Jesus corrects us, if Jesus points us to truth and changes our thinking when it's wrong, then we ought to be sensitive to that. We ought to be sensitive to Him. And every day, let Him do that that correcting work. Again, sometimes it's not pleasant. But because Jesus loves you like a father, He wants you in the truth. Be sensitive to Him. Parents, have you ever been frustrated when you're trying to correct your children and they're not listening to you? How many of you ever said as a parent, look at me? Raise your hand if you ever said that. Look at me. In other words, listen to what I'm saying. This is important. Don't blow me off. Don't ignore me. Look at me. I wonder how many times Jesus, who loves us like a father... Is doing his daily work of correction, and yet we're not looking at him. We're not listening. Be sensitive to his correction. There's a final aspect of his father like love. This is not an exhaustive list. But the final example here is that Jesus strengthens. Jesus strengthens. Over in Matthew chapter 28, verse 18. Jesus gives us the the great commission. I love this passage where he commands his disciples and and all of his disciples, even unto this day, to go forth with the good news. That's why the song that the children sang at the end, you notice they got juiced up at the end, right? Go tell it on the mountain. What a good song to get juiced up over. They got into it. We need to get into that kind of truth because people need to hear about Christ. Yes, he was born in a manger. Yes, it's a beautiful story. Yes, he was born and lived and died and rose. But there are people that have never heard that message. And you and I are called to go and tell folks about Jesus. Oswald Smith said this famously. He said, we talk of the second coming. Half of the world has never heard of the first. We need to go tell. And so Jesus says... Go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And then Jesus says, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. What does Jesus mean by that? Jesus understood when he said these words that the Christian life is not easy. Have you discovered yet that the Christian life is not easy? I mean, think about all the Christian life means for for you and for me. We're called to to have Christian marriages and point our children to Jesus and have Christian homes. We're called to be salt and light in a decaying society. The, The culture turns on us because we simply follow Jesus. And the reproach of Christ falls on our lives. 
we, we, we're called to share truth and, and many don't want to hear it. There's so many needs all around us. Living for Jesus can be quite hard. Jesus even said, in this world you will have trouble. It's not easy following me. It's not easy being a Christian. So that's why that promise at the end of the Great Commission is so important. As you go and you share and you make disciples and you baptize and you teach and you serve me and you go forth with the good news, remember, I am there with you. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Jesus strengthens us as we go. So you and I should lean on Him as we serve Him. A popular song when I was a child was the song, Lean On Me. How many remember the song, Lean On Me? When you're not strong. You know that song. Popular song and some good truth in there. Because it says, we all need somebody, what? To lean on. We all need somebody to lean on. And the Christian life is hard. Living for Jesus is hard. We all need someone to lean on. And guess what? Jesus, who loves us like a father, is there, ever present for us to lean on. The next time you need to catch your breath, the next time you just need some strength and you feel weak and frail, you need to stop and lean on Jesus. Because he's there. He's always there. He's not going away. He's promised his unfailing presence. And so we see that Jesus loves us like a father. And that has some implications for our lives. Because Jesus loves us like a father, he models, he teaches, he guides, he shapes, he corrects, and he strengthens. But there's a a final aspect of this Name back in Isaiah 9 6, I want you to see. Everlasting Father, and it is this. This name indicates the duration of his love. Not only does it describe his love, it's father like love. Jesus has father like love for us. Even though he's not the father, his love is father like. It describes his love. But secondly, this name speaks of the duration of his love. Everlasting Father. Everlasting Father. The father-like love of Christ is endless. His love for you will never come to an end. How do we know that? We know that because we know two important truths about Jesus. Truth number one. Jesus is everlasting. Or he is eternal. It calls him here the Messiah who would be born, the son who would be given Everlasting Father. So Jesus is is called Everlasting. Our triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, our triune God is eternal. That means that the Lord has no beginning. That's hard for us to wrap our minds around. You see, when Jesus Christ was born to the Virgin Mary, that was not His beginning. That was simply when He left heaven and came to earth taking on humanity so he could die in our place. But Jesus Christ existed before that. He's always existed. And because he's eternal, he always will exist. I love what it says in Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15, speaking of the Lord. Listen to what it says. 
For thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. The Bible says that our great God, our triune God, including Jesus, inhabits eternity. He fills it up. Because Jesus Christ is eternal. He is everlasting. Not only is Jesus everlasting, here's another important reality about Christ. Jesus doesn't change. Over in Hebrews 13, verse 8, Jesus speaking says this. I am the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's what Jesus says. I do not Change. Here's what that means. The attributes of Jesus that bless us now will bless us forever because he doesn't change. He'll be around forever and who he is will be around forever, which means his father-like love will be ours forever. It'll never come to an end. Why? He's everlasting father. He does not change. You need to understand That his love and concern for you will never change and it will never run out. Aren't you glad? It will never change and it will never run out. You ever been in a movie and you thought, this movie is never going to end? Growing up, if we were in one of those movies that my mom picked, my dad didn't like it, he would leave. He would just walk out. He said, I'll pick y'all up later. He'd go to like Home Depot or something. But you've been in those movies and they something they'll never end and you don't like it and you think, will this movie ever come to an end? What you mean by that is, I want it to end. I want it to end. I want this movie to be over. But it won't be like that in eternity. When we all get to heaven and we all are experiencing the father-like love of Jesus which will never change... We will not want it to end. For all of eternity, we will rejoice in the love and the concern and the care of Christ for us. It will go on and on and on. And we'll never want it to end. And it won't ever end. Because Jesus is called Everlasting Father. So this name in Isaiah 9, verse 6. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. This name speaks of of a description of His love. He loves us like a... He's not the Father, but He loves us like a Father. And it also speaks of the duration of His love. His love will never come to an end. It'll never run out. And that's good news. So here's what I want you to walk away with. Christmas is the celebration of a benevolent king, a good king whose love and care are unending. So we're celebrating at Christmas. The child who was born to the Virgin Mary, who's laid in a manger, he was and he is everlasting father. He's a good king. Listen to me. Because he's a good king, he's worthy of your life. Maybe you're here today and you say, wait, I don't, I don't know Christ. I'm far from God and I know it. I'm in my sin and, and I have no assurance of going to heaven when I die. 
Can I tell you this? Jesus is a glorious Savior and a good King. You ought to give Him your life. You can trust Him. He'll forgive you. He'll transform you. And He'll begin His daily ministry of love and care for you. You can give Him your life. He's good. He's everlasting Father. Maybe you're here and you know that you're saved. That eternal question has been answered. Listen to me. He's worthy of your praise. He's worthy of your worship. And can I say this to you? He is worthy of your bowed knee. If you make it through this Christmas season, listen, and you haven't bowed your knee before the good King, Jesus, in surrender and love and awe, then I submit to you, you haven't really understood what Christmas is all about. He's worthy of your bowed knee. Everlasting Father.